Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. One, two, three. Hello, and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me, as always, forever, my lovely Fancy Lou. Did we do Fancy Lou already? We did already do Dang, Fancy Lou. Uh, fr- fr- frivolous Lou. What am I doing with the F? <laughs> I don't know. That's not an L, but Lucky Lady Lou. Lucky Lady Lou. Lady Luck. Lady Luck Lou. Lady Luck Lou. I mean, I'll take it. At least I'm lucky. Legu. <laughs> okay, there we go. I'm sending that one to my best friend. He's going to die laughing. There you go. Legu. Legu. And uh, today we have a very fun episode. We wanted to talk a little bit about dynamics. Someone in my DMs on Instagram hit me up and he said, let's talk about dynamics. So shout out to you. Thank you so much for uh, recommending this topic, but we're not going to be talking just about compression. We're not going to be talking about one single topic. We're going to talk about dynamics in general. So okay. let's first talk about genres of music. For example, classical music versus a taiga song. <laughs> yeah. Where does dynamics kind of play as far as genre goes? Man, genre has a big, big role in dynamics. Like if you really think about it, classical music, it's all about doing as little as possible. Like even EQ is almost uh, a, a, a mortal sin on that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, hey, what the hell did you do to my cello? It does not have a resonance at 400 hertz. But if you start compressing too much, uh, you actually start killing the liveliness, the the naturalness of the instrument. And unfortunately, classical music just does not have a tolerance for that. But if you're talking about Taiga, compress the living shit out of that snare. I don't want to hear any dynamics. There you go. There like you dynamics go. is a mortal sin at that point. There you go. And I and I think that this is important to bring up because people always talk about in the mastering phase, dynamics and headroom. In like loofs, right? L-U-F-S. Loudness. Unit. uh, It's basically uh, loudness unit full scale. Yeah, it's the average. Basically, it's the volume of the peaks and the valleys. Like, so you're transient. So it kind of, it's not measuring the loudness per se. It's integrated, basically. Yeah, but it's measuring the dynamics of the song, which is super important because it does translate into perceived loudness um, and how much it's limited and compressed. But uh I want to talk about how people are always like, get it to like minus 14, minus 12. And some people are like, I get mine to minus five and like brag about and whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is, if you're getting a very sparse acoustic guitar track to minus nine LUFS. That's way too fucking loud. It's way too loud. 
And if you're getting a Taiga song to minus 14 LUFS, That's way it's too way quiet. too quiet. Yeah. It's- now, one can argue, yes, the streaming mediums and all that, but somebody actually told me something recently which made me laugh uh, because it's kind of true. You know how it's already, and this is not to go to a side topic at all, but you know how it's already hard enough for people to get credited on their work? Um, what makes you think that they're going to want to upload the minus nine version later? When streaming services now say, oh, well, we don't have a minus 14 standard now because the the standards have always changed. So you got Apple, that's a minus 13.1, I think it is. Um, You got minus 14. You got Tidal, that's another uh, medium. But then now streaming services are just saying, well, fuck it, give us anything and we'll set it to the level. But some services are now starting to say it's lossless uh, volume changes. Ah. Some of them do degradation. So I know a few mastering engineers that though they provide it, they know that they're just going to up the client's going to upload the loudest one anyways. Yeah. And I think that's actually that's actually a really important thing I've never really thought about, which is we have people putting. I mean, Apple has a different loudness scale than Spotify and they penalize for loudness for different on different parameters and for different, you know, things. So actually thinking about the future, when you stream your song directly off your band website, Mm -hmm. or if you buy the song Mm -hmm. or if it's on the CD, are you buying that format? Yeah. I mean that format, like the CD version, whatever, much louder and cleaner. Yeah, because there's no like degradation of audio. There's no like built-in compression of the file. Whatever. I actually never thought about. Nobody ever talks about it. Yeah, like not doing it for any one specific one, but just future-proofing it in general. Like I only know a handful of mastering engineers that actually hand over multiple types of bounces. Like I do three different bounces. I do CD bounce, Spotify bounce, and Apple bounce because one. Mastered for iTunes is an actual certified thing yeah, to but, do. But yeah. then again, every time they ask me, like, which one should I upload? It only gives me the option of uploading one song. So, But for the problem with that is that, for example, with DistroKid, CD Baby, I don't think does it. TuneCore doesn't do it the last time I checked either, is when you upload it, like, as an independent artist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ask you if you have an Apple Master or if you have a Tidal Studio Master. No, you have to deal with them directly for that. Yeah, so at the point, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter for independent artists. Yeah, that's why I always ask them, what is the medium in which you're actually distributing the music? Oh, my label's doing it. Okay, if it's the label, I'm going to give you every type that I know is going to be needed. And then uh, if it's just independent, if they tell me CD Baby, I'm like, well, CD Baby's going to give you the option of one. There you go. So either you release it quieter on some domains and louder on others, or you have a loud option, period. Yeah, and I want to kind of go into the next part of this dynamics conversation, which is gain staging. And I honestly, I think we're going to do a whole nother episode about this, but just briefly, I'm going to say a statement. I want you to either agree with me or disagree and why. I'm neutral. The <laughs> There you go. I think the point of gain staging is to either not distort anything or to distort anything on purpose. Like if you yeah. ha- like I don't really I've never really thought about gain staging before. Usually my thought is am I clipping? No, and then I don't think about gain staging ever again. Mm-hmm. The only other time is like when I'm using a saturator or I'm using a compressor outboard or or plugin, I'm pushing it really hard so sometimes I look at the VU out, right? But most like of the time slamming. I don't even do that. I don't even do that most of the time. Yeah. Like uh so I would say, is gain staging a topic? I think people overthink it sometimes. I think it's a very simple topic that anybody that goes to school or doesn't go to school, whether it's YouTube Academy or SAE, doesn't matter. No shout out to SAE. 
Um, but realistically speaking, gain staging is a very simple thing to talk about because it just breaks down to, are you getting a proper amount of level? And uh, I know a lot of uh, recording engineers that came from large format consoles to tape, you recorded it as it was supposed to sound. Like you should be able to line up all your playback faders to zero and it sound exactly the way it should sound. So are you supposed to get a certain amount of gain at that point? No, you get enough gain to actually get the level desired and to get the tone desired. If you want to push it harder, what you would do is on the actual recording fader, you would turn the direct output down while hitting the gain harder. You but go. you would still maintain a proper level to where you're trying to balance it. But if you were trying to be clean, like we talked about, Taiga versus classical, well, if you're in classical, it's all about pristine sound. How accurate is it? And then gain staging is really a topic at there that point. There you go. And so maybe the thing that people are getting confused on, which maybe we just gloss over because we don't have, we've been doing this long enough that we kind of forget the super basics. Yeah. But maybe the big part of gain staging is the difference between input and output, as well as the difference between gain and volume. Yeah. The, can, actually, everybody does get confused over that. Um, and to be honest, and I've that seen many whole, mistakes that, like that. Yeah. I mean, like that's yeah. that could be like its whole other episode. So, but I wanted to talk about gain staging in general. I think people overthink it, but there is definitely a difference between input and output, mm -hmm. and you can clip it on the input or on the output or on neither, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And also, um, what did I say? Not just the the uh, the in oh the gain and the volume. There's a difference between gain yeah. and volume. So let's go into the next little thing. I want to briefly talk about this. This is another thing that we could talk about. Um, and we might do a whole another episode specifically on bus compression. Yep. Um, but let's talk about bus compression and limiting. Like what's the point of bus compression in both the master bus, so the entire song, as well as like specific groups? Like what's the point of that kind of bus compression? Well, I always look at it as two things. Either I'm trying to get more uh, punch or attack from something, or I'm trying to glue it together, which means kind of rounding out some of that punch and attacks. You can do that. You can glue vocal buses together. You can do more pan, uh, punch and attack on like percussion buses. You can try to glue the mix together or make it uh, hit harder. But it all goes down to like where you're setting your threshold, your attack, your release. Um, please, everybody, learn how to use your makeup gain. If, if I'm bypassing your plugin uh, and it suddenly drops in volume dramatically, you did not gain stage right. <laughs> there you go. And I, and I think that this is a whole nother topic. We could do a whole nother episode again, but um, I always say the same thing about compression. I say that the basic concept of compression, especially on the master bus compression, is the point is kind of to not hear it mm -hmm. to a certain degree, right? So that being said, people use it a lot for like a color box to kind of color the sound and change the tone a little bit, which I do that a lot too, yeah. but in general, right? Um, nobody should listen to a record and be like, it's hyper-compressed, unless that was the intended purpose. But uh, I will say, let's talk really briefly about slow, very mute-type, slow compression on the I Master Bus versus like quick SSL, like VCA-type compression, SSL, G-Bus, things like mm -hmm. that. Uh, in general, I would say the very slow reverb that has very slow and attack time and release time. At first, I wondered if it was actually doing anything because if there's no release then there was no point like to doing any sort of makeup gain. Like if it's, for example, if the gain reduction reads negative to the entire song and doesn't ever bounce even a little bit, mm -hmm. then it's probably not doing anything because you're just making the entire song minus two dBs or minus 
to gain reduction, right? Reducing it. So, but I do want to say that slow compression like that is meant for overall songs when the chorus is loud and the verses are quiet. It's kind of meant for this overarching loud parts and quiet parts where faster compression like VCA is meant for the peaks and hitting those transients. Yeah. Is that kind of what you feel and use that yeah. for? Uh, I actually prefer to use variable muse. You'll see me use like the Manly Varimu or you know me. I, I love my double wides from Retro Instruments. There you go. Absolutely love them. I'll use those on vocals all day long because I'm really just trying to be soft and gentle with it. I'm not trying to kill a massive amount of dynamics. And even when they compress hard, they can be very transparent. Yeah. And, and actually, specifically, that's a good co- topic is good thing to say is on vocals specifically, I the first compression that I do is a slower compressor. Mm-hmm. Right now I've been playing with uh, like the new German compressor on Plugin Alliance, which yep. kind of adds this nice tone to it. I'm kind of using it for EQ. But uh, it's, like it's very slow. It's like the brother to the V76, I believe. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. so. It, it's very slow. It's very beautiful. And then I usually end my vocal chain with a very aggressive 1176 or something very quick like, like a it. 2500? Yeah, something like that, yeah. where um, usually the 1176. Um, but... I don't ever do more than one or two dBs on either of the compression. Let me and ask you I, this. Uh, multiband, at any point in between? Any point. At multiband, I use uh, mostly for like peaks. Mm-hmm. So, But that being said, kind of Pro-Q3 has the dynamic option, and I use yeah. the Pro-Q3 very aggressively, yeah. like with the dynamic session. Uh, the dynamic section. But um, let's go into the last thing, which is, uh, limiters. Okay. And what are limiters? What are they supposed to do? How are people using them? How should they be used? Just briefly. Well, uh, a lot of people tend to use a limiter as like, just make the bounce loud. That That's the one thing I always hear people, hey man, you're going to throw an L2 on that, right? It's like, well, yeah, I mean, at the end, it's like, oh, why not just throw it while we're recording just to make it loud? It's like, well, no. <laughs> just no. turn the music up. Like the speakers Yeah, up. if you want the music and your vocals louder, I could just turn your headphone amp louder. I mean, we got really nice headphone amps here. Um, but realistically, a lot of people are using limiters on their master buses, but people forget. You can use them in the mix, too. I use, like, I use it quite often. Yeah, I actually like using uh, the Oxford limiter for my master bus. I like using uh, Pro L2 uh, from FabFilter on, like, the drum bus or something. If I'm doing some, like really punchy drums, but I'm really trying to round out those transients because some uh, people forget that those transients, if they get out of control in the mix, then you're going to have a hard time gluing the mix together in the master bus. Yeah. But um, I know not a lot of engineers like to say, oh, put limiters in your buses, but let's be honest, if it's used right, then it's not an issue. But a lot of people tend to overuse them. What's what's your thoughts on that? No, yeah, I, I do think that on the master bus, on the mix bus, people tend to overuse it. If you're hitting your limiter more than minus two dBs on the master bus when you're trying to make it loud, it's probably a little bit too much. Not only can we hear it, and specifically with the waves limiters, they can distort. They no, will they distort. They do distort. They definitely do distort, especially the L1. Yep. Um, so I will say go easy on it. And if you want to go louder, instead of doing minus six dBs on the limiter, uh, go put on three limiters in a row in series of minus two. Like, that's going to sound better than one that does minus six. Um, I do think that it's super important to also say that I do think that a limiter in general is underutilized in a mix. I think that people will have amazing compression, but compression sometimes isn't fast enough. 
Like yeah. they're not, they, those, some of those transients will sometimes go through. And if you use them, it's mostly meant for the mastering engineer because they'll have a lot more headroom and it'll sound louder uh, at the same time can be overused. Yeah. But I think that, I think that limiters in general um, is a great tool to have during the mixing phase on individual tracks as well. I actually tell people a lot of times that my favorite tracks to master are tracks where I'm not trying to keep the transients under control if they're not wildly out there. Reason being is this. If you're trying to get your mix louder, here's the secret. Stop making everything quiet and loud. Like, actually try to add some saturation. Add, try to add some elements if you need to that fill up space in between because the more that's actually, like, glued together, the more that it actually sounds closer together and maintains transients, the easier it is to actually get a loud mix without having to slam a limiter. And that's where DK was mentioning uh, having to hit your limiter with more than one to two decibels. Your mix is probably a little too dynamic at that point. Um, maybe add some backing vocals to thicken it up. Maybe add some doubles. Maybe add a doubler with a phaser behind it to you know, add some kind of sonic element in the background that really thickens up the mix. But you'll notice that if you look at your master bus, even a light amount of compression can help you glue it all together to where it's you don't have to hit the limiter as hard. If the limiter is the only type of dynamic processor you have on your master bus, I suggest you consider starting looking into compressors. And once again, we brought this up just moments ago, uh, bus compressors and SSL. If you're trying to glue or add some attack, a variable mu, if you're trying to round it out like classical music, um, if you're doing um, music like uh, like uh, the people that we're going to be episode, uh, interviewing for a next episode, Sago, they've got really good mixes on their music. They actually sound great. They're punchy. They're loud. But if you listen to it, everything's blended so well, but it's not like they're trying to slam an 808 in your face. In fact, it's there's not a lot going on below 50 hertz is what I've noticed. Yeah, and But that's because of that, that their music sounds loud. Yeah, very aggressive, and I love that. Um, and so on that note, I think, honestly, the final thoughts on this is with dynamics, remember, uh, the dynamics is based on the song. Yeah. Um, based on the genre, the culture of the genre. When in doubt, listen to similar music. Yeah, it doesn't even have to, to sound the it. same. And and to any artist that's listening right now, I will say that especially at the beginning stages, if you aren't willing to admit that you're influenced by other people, nobody is ever you don't like I don't sound like anybody else. I'm this new thing. No, it, you sound like other people. Everyone it is. If you didn't sound like other people, you'd be what's called outsider music, which is a whole nother topic that I really love. Weird <laughs> ass music um that's genuinely not really influenced by anybody, right? So uh I do think that it's okay to admit you sound like other people for the point of referencing. Mm -hmm. Who do you want to sound like? What tonal, like, what do you want to chase after? What are you going for overall? Like, um, for example, in TV and film, like color grading, they'll yeah. use like blues to show coolness and darkness. Like, that's kind of what like the mix is. Like, if you have a mid forward mix, it's going to give it like an old school loud vibe where like a mid dip, uh, mid dip mix is going to make it sound very modern and pop. Yeah. Like, and there's pop musicians that have that mid forward sound and pop musicians that don't mix that pop mid forward yeah. sound. And so it's really up to you as the artist and up to your influences, up to the engineer a little bit, but like you're the, as an artist, you're the last one that makes that decision. Um, so don't do too much. Don't worry about it too much. And if you send it to a pro, hopefully you'll never have to worry about it again. And just talk, communicate that with your engineers, whether it be mastering or mixing. Like I love when a, a client tells me like, Hey, I'm really trying to get the perfect master. Do you mind revisions? 
And I usually say, hey, why don't we just jump on a live stream together? Yeah. Like, why don't we do this together? Like, well, it'll be almost like we're in the same room. We can choose the different colors, the different sounds, punchiness, not punchy, whatever it is. But instead of having to go back and forth a million times, find an engineer that works well with your sound. Finding your own engineer makes a world of a difference in the creative process. I do think that that matters. And and just as fair warning, if you are an artist um, and you are not an engineer, even if you have a little bit of engineering experience, um, I think it will be best for you to let me suggest that if the engineer says something about dynamics and loudness, mm-hmm. um, they might know a little bit more about, about it than you do. Maybe they don't, uh, but I would suggest that sometimes they do. And they know what they're doing. And usually an engineer, if they have something to say, maybe something like that, where it's like, hey, this is too loud, too quiet, whatever it is. But, uh, you know, whatever it is, some, like oh, this happens all the time, even with mixing. They say they want more bass. What I do is I turn down the bass, but I just do- distort it more. So the upper harmonics come through a little bit more, better through the phone, better through mm-hmm. the speakers. And I actually lowered the bass. And every time I do that, they said, perfect. That's exactly what I wanted. I'm like, you, you, I did not do what you asked me, but I interpreted what you meant. Yeah. So like make- getting to know your <laughs> clients, getting to know your engineers and all that, the, having them get to know you makes your life so much easier. There you go. There you go. So um, on that note, please like continue to mess around with dynamics, uh, continue to research, continue to find out, continue to reference your mixes continue to reference your productions and kind of compare side by side and how you can match different sonic textures and dynamics to other things as well as kind of make it your own when to make it your own so on that note thank you so much for listening please join our discord group we do have an exclusive discord group we're trying to grow that right now follow us on instagram we have a podcast page as well as our personal pages again in the description of this episode as well as the description of the show um and we invite everyone Everyone to uh, give us a five-star review if you're listening on Apple Music. That helps us out a lot. I know it just takes a few moments, but we're really, really grateful for everybody that has. And uh, before we close out, let's celebrate. This is it. By the time this show releases, we have over 100,000 downloads for this show. Thank you for everybody that's listening. Over 100,000 downloads. That's it. We are in the top 1% of all podcasts and the top, uh, we are in the top 50 in music in the world and in top 10 in various different countries around the world. We're really grateful for all our listeners. We're trying to get the hang of this. Things are growing very slowly, but they for sure are growing. So we're thankful for everybody that's listening and supporting us. And we hope that we can help you uh, chase your dreams. So on that note, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's links.dekeimixes.com. If you can't get enough of the Mixing Music Podcast and want three times the amount of episodes every week, subscribe to our exclusive content for only $4 a month or $40 a year at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive. Happy mixing, my friends, and enjoy the show.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.